Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook. I am your host, James Kay, and right now you are listening to the podcast version of this show. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. And as always, if you want to reach out to anyone involved with the show, you can do so by emailing the show's mailbag, which is the Skyhook Mailbag at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at me or the show's handle. And my handle is at James underscore M underscore K-A-Y. And the show's handle is at Skyhookin. And definitely check out the Windsiders podcast network. I mean, the Skyhook is a part of that network. And, you know, everyone else involved with that network is really putting out some great content. The Windsider podcast network has... I think they have a show covering every WNBA team, so check them out. They're doing some great work. Aria Schwartz and Rachel Galligan, always kicking butt in the content-creating realm. So, yeah, before we kick this off, I actually got to sit down with Nick Niendorf from High Post Hoops and the Skycast podcast, my bitter rival. Um, No, I mean, I had such a great talk with Nick. We had... Yeah, no, seriously, this is probably the, my favorite show I've gotten to do this season with the Skyhook, and Nick is just such a treat. He really knows basketball in and out, and yeah, just follow him on Twitter if you don't. It's, I If you're a Sky fan, I have a hard time imagining you not knowing who Nick Niendorf is by now, but um, yeah, so before we move along here, I just want to make two quick annou- announcements about this show specifically or this episode specifically, I should say. Chloe Jackson was not waived by this guy um, while we were recording this episode. So there's a five-minute segment, I'd say, where she is mentioned as a member of this guy. Unfortunately, she is no longer a part of the team. And, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later down the road. But, um, yeah, so if we mention her, it's just because she was still on the team at the time. And also, if... You hear cicadas in the background. That's because there were cicadas in the background while we were recording this episode, unfortunately. The mic is just so powerful that it picks up everything. Um, So I apologize for that. I did some heavy editing to try to eliminate some of that noise. But if you hear it, I apologize. And hopefully it's not too much of a hassle for you consuming this episode. But Anyways, (laughs) I'm sorry for that three-minute spiel, but let's do this. Nick, let's get the blood flowing a little bit and stretch out before we take on the rest of this episode by talking about what happened last week between Liz Cambage and some of the Sky players. So if you didn't see or read about this, Liz Cambage and Stephanie Dolson and the rest of the Sky crew just kind of went toe-to-toe with the rest of the Aces. Actually, really just Liz Cambage. And they kind of sparred on and off the court. Liz taunted Dolson during the game and drew some questionable fouls against her. And there was another point where she clearly upset Cheyenne Parker, who went after Camp Beige in the third quarter. The players volleyed subtweets back and forth. And James Wade even had a post-game rant about how Liz Camp... God, I, just, I suck at pronouncing your name today. Liz Camp Beige gets every call. Nick, 
What can we take away from these like physical and verbal confrontations between Liz and Chicago? And do you feel like the sky's lack of traditional star power is something that hurts them when it comes to calls going their way? So yeah, I, it's obviously a tough call just because, you know, we weren't there on the court. I don't know exactly what was said. I know that the team has at least a bit of a history in terms of things being chippy, but obviously it never, never quite reached this point. Um, and then I, I thought the, the like, kind of the online interaction afterwards, obviously, Allie quickly had a tweet kind of calling out Liz Cambage without saying her name. And then Liz fired back about an hour and a half later. And then really, you know, quite a few Sky players kind of came out in support of Stephanie Dolson, of Cheyenne Parker, of, of everyone kind of involved in the contest. And so, I don't know, it's, it's tough for me to say because, like I said, I don't know kind of what the trigger was on the court in terms of what was said. It does seem like it went further than just like the physical play. Um, I feel like that was a lot what um, Allie quickly was alluding to uh, in her tweet, just that Liz Kenpage just kind of went too far with her trash talk. And obviously Liz denied it later. So on that front, it's, it's hard to say. But as far as the calls go, I mean, I, it's been a thing with the WNBA all year. They, the refs just have no idea how to call post players this year. Yeah. And I think with Liz Cambage in particular, just because she's so big and she's so physical, she she gets away with murder sometimes. I mean, <laughs> anytime I watch an Aces game, she she just pounds other players. And to be fair, she gets she gets pounded back. But I think against the sky, like you were saying, they, they kind of lack that star power, especially in the front court. And I feel like Stephanie Dolson and Cheyenne Parker, they're not players that are going to get a million calls. And I feel like Dolson in particular already kind of has almost this reputation with the refs where they're going to call her for the ticky-tacky stuff that other centers don't get called for. And so part of me wonders if it was just a perfect storm in terms of physicality on the court. And, and like you said, the sky's lack of star power in the front court. I was at the Sky Sparks game last Friday, and Maggie Hendricks opened the post-game press conference by asking something along the lines of, if the calls against, she asked James Wade this, like she asked something like, if the calls against his team were warranted, or if he even questioned the ref's performance that game, and he dodged those questions, like not wanting to comment, like of course, because all coaches never want to talk about the officiating, or at least they don't want the public to know their thoughts, and... Just two games later, though, like, you know, this game with Liz happens and Wade just goes off on this subject, which kind of makes me feel like she did do something that was in the wrong here. I feel like James Wade is such an even like even keeled person where he wouldn't be the one to just go off without there being reason behind it. And I mean, he, I mean, it makes sense for why he went off. I mean, there was 50 personal fouls called during the Aces game and there were 44 called the game before that, like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like, the refs, I'm sorry, but they're kind of incompetent this season. I know that's kind of harsh, but there was another point during the game where I forget which Sparks player it was, but they drew contact from Diamond three games ago, and they made an and one, and that's what it was called initially. They were only going to take one shot, but then someone else came in, one of the other refs came in and waved it off and said there was going to be it was going to be a uh, there was going to be two shots taken instead, and the other one was just like just kind of accepted it, and like they didn't communicate. The communication between these refs also seems like there's something up there, and honestly, this hurts the sky more than any other team 
because they want to, you know, just run it in the fast break and keep the pace of the game moving quickly. And when the refs are calling fouls at a rate that's over a foul a minute, that messes with what the sky has built this season. You know what I mean? Like, maybe I'm being too harsh. Like, what do you think? Like, do you feel that the refs being so whistle happy is messing with what the sky are trying to do within their offensive system? Yeah, you know, I haven't necessarily thought about it like that, but, you know, now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense to me just because I do feel like the Sky don't necessarily have those traditional post players that they're just going to dump it down to right. and feed a bunch of times a game. I think they they had that with Jantel a little bit. She had a couple post-ups a game, and, you know, Dolson will have a few, but she's, I've always thought of her as more of a finesse player, and so I feel lacking those post players. And, and then, like you said, playing that fast-break style of game, where you, you want to run a lot and free throws obviously slow that down. I, I think the refing this year has has hurt them on that front um, because I, I do feel like they don't have necessarily that inside star power that other teams, especially like the Aces or the Sparks, have. It's something they have to kind of worry about when they face superstars every game in the playoffs because more than likely those stars are going to get those fouls called against the sky. You know what I mean? Like that's going to be something to just like to keep an eye on as we move as we inch towards the postseason but let's move to something a little bit more positive so for the first time since 2016 the sky are like pretty much in the playoffs like i know it's a weird thing to say but i think there's a scenario where the sky plummet to the bottom and like lose a tiebreaker i believe but it seems like they are shooing for the playoffs you can go ahead and bet against them you're just wasting your money with that said there's just so much this team needs to do between now and the start of the postseason but I don't know, Nick. I mean, this has to be a, considered a huge accomplishment for the Sky. Like, did you see this team, like, making the playoffs at the beginning of the year? Or even, like, see them compete for a spot as high as the three seed? I, I will definitely say, I'll own up to it. I wasn't a person that necessarily said, the Sky are not making the playoffs. Like, they're just going to be, they're going to be in the lottery again. They might as well tank. I was not one of those people, but I definitely hedged my bets. I was... For a good solid like month and a half, probably into the season, I, I was I was one of those people who were just like, well, you know, we just don't know what this team is. They could go either way. So I, I definitely kind of waffled on that subject just because I feel like this was such a wild card team, and so there's there's no way I would have ever ever predicted um, them competing for such a high seed. I would definitely would not have predicted them competing potentially for a three or four seed. I I would have you know I would have probably bet money. On them grabbing an eighth seed, I think I would have been more confident saying that, but for them to be in the position that they are now has is, is just been incredible. It's quite remarkable, honestly. Like We don't have to go over how the personnel is pretty much the same as last year's, because I feel like that point has been beaten to death. <laughs> but looking at all the obstacles this team has dealt with this year, it's just like, it's so remarkable how they got to this point, because I'm with you. I had them more in that seven, eighth seed, and like, you know, there's also been some surprise teams this year, like... The Lynx, I don't think anyone really saw them making the run that they have, like they've been going on this season with, you know, Maya Moore being, uh, taking a year off or maybe just retiring flat out or, and, uh, I mean, also the dream, I mean, they just completely fell apart this year. Um, and those were two like, uh, top teams last year. So this guy surprised me and, but like, even beyond all those factors, just like, the way they got here is just pretty incredible. Just if you just go down the line, like they didn't get Jantel until after training camp was over with. Katie Lou was injured for most of the season after Wade thought she was going to be ready to come in and like contribute right away. 
And I thought that he, I mean, at the beginning of the season, he said that he like imagined her being a really key piece in this, um, you know, on this team. And she really hasn't been able to contribute in the way that a first round pick typically does. Shamira Faulkner's absence, like forced Gabby Williams to play the one. And I mean, she has done well this season, but Again, just kind of forcing her to, in that position isn't the most ideal situation for a playoff team. And like, again, other little things like Kalia Copper wasn't ready out of the gate. And even a stew, like what we've seen from her the last few games makes you wonder what this team would have looked like if she had been there like the whole season. <laughs> again, like the injuries really limited their depth early on. But I don't know, man, like to see like this team potentially getting the three seed. I mean, is that something that's still in reach for them? I think so. I, I definitely think so. I think things are just so so tight knit throughout the playoff field, especially. I mean, once you get past the Mystics and the Aces, I feel like it, things open up a little bit more. Especially when you get past the Mystics, I'm I'm not betting against the Mystics at all this year. No, uh, no. But I, I feel like yeah, I, I I think that is within reach for them. I think they need to show even more that they already have. And, you know, we just talked about how impressive they have been, but I think they're going to have to take a little, a, a, a tiny step forward in terms of being consistent and locking in on defense and getting a couple games where they can, they can win more than a couple by more than a couple points. Yeah. Stop stressing out the fans, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think they need to have a couple more of the statement wins um, for me to feel like super comfortable in them being that three seed, being a legit three seed, but I think it's definitely within reach. It's just a matter of whether or not they can get there. Maybe that's how this team's just going to roll this season, just giving everyone a heart attack at the end and prevailing. So I'm with yeah. you, but I just feel like you can point to like nine things this season for why the sky season could have just been completely derailed. And here they are just like stampeding towards the end. It is just, it's quite remarkable. And even as someone who's been pretty positive on this show, <laughs> they've surprised me as well. But um, let's move forwards here. So it seems like Astu will be taking over Jantel's minutes moving forward. Do you like what you've seen from her so far? And like, do you think it's in Wade's best interest to kind of experiment more with these lineups at the end of games as the season starts to come to an end? So yeah, I've, I've liked what I've seen from a stew a lot. I feel like one of the biggest things that she brings to the team is that she's just she's just solid, which is one of the biggest things that they lost when Jantel went out. They lost that really solid person who every single night is, is going to bring it. Because as we talked about, Stephanie Dolson, she's, she's going to get into foul trouble in some games down the season. And that might happen in the playoffs. And Cheyenne Parker isn't always a guaranteed to show up on any given night. And so I think having that stabilizing force that can play the four or five is huge for them um and i think defensively like i said she, she's been solid she knows how to use her length um she's good at not fouling she's good at just contesting things straight up and she's usually she's usually not out of place in rotation she's she's been good there i think probably the biggest thing for her is just offensively i think there's a much bigger drop from her and jantel She's, she's not really at the same force in the pick and roll. She's not going to be able to attack the rim quite the same. I think she can maybe be a better spot-up shooter than yes. Jantel, but Jantel has just been so good in those pick-and-pop scenarios that I, I do think it's a downgrade there. And so, obviously, you'd rather have Jantel playing all those minutes, but I think a stew has been a good player to step up, and I think the Sky are really lucky that 
she's been able to go, like you said, being gone most of the season, and she's playing less than 10 minutes a game for most games, and suddenly she's just been able to step in to that starting role pretty pretty seamlessly. But I, I do think the biggest thing with her is, you know, Jantel, you know she's going to take a decent amount of shots every night. She's going to give you offensive production. With a stew, you know, I mean, just the other night she was, I think, 0 for 2 from the field. She's, she's going to have those nights where she still contributes, but she's not bringing that same offensive production as Jantel. So I, I think to, to sum up that, uh, that lengthy uh, diatribe, I, I feel like, I, I don't know, as far as mixing up lineups, I do, I do like what Wade has done. I think Katie Lou has obviously gotten a lot more burn here lately, and I think that's been really good for the team. I think having Jameera Faulkner come in has been good for them. And so I, I like what he's doing with a Stu's minutes. I wouldn't really want to change that, but I do like how he's kind of mixed things up with like the nine and ten spots, and they're obviously limited minutes, but he has kind of played around with them in lineups as well. I agree with everything you just said because honestly, her biggest contribution for this team is going to come defensively, I feel like. And if she can become that spot up shooter that you said that, you know, she has great touch. And honestly, in terms of her shooting form, she's an upgrade over Jantel Lavender. I mean, we were talking a couple weeks ago on Twitter about how Jantel turns a 24 foot jump shot into a 23 and a half foot jump shot with that step forward. But just looking at the lineup stats on WNBA.com, the Sky's core of Steph, Ali, Sloot, and Diamond are their most productive four-person lineup. Together, they are shooting like 47% from the field. Um, I can't read my notes. 37% from three and have an offensive rating of 106 and a 95 defensive rating. So offensively, these like those four can get the job done, which is why I feel like Wade should go with the more defensive-minded strategy since this guy like are still ninth in the league in defensive rating, a big improvement from last year. I think it's like a ten point difference. It's what he's done like with this team defensively has been pretty incredible as well. But that's why I think you're right. A stew is kind of perfect for that like defensive consistency, which is something that we this guy did struggle with, especially at the beginning of the season. I do think it'd be kind of interesting though if they put Gabby Williams into some of these closing lineups and. Like, she hasn't improved her jumper in the WNBA, but I feel like that's actually something that could be valuable for this team, oddly enough. Like, if she can just be, like, a defensive spark plug for the team and just, like, build off the playmaking role she was thrusted into this season and just get more touches for Ali, Steph, and Diamond and Sloot, too, honestly. Like, just make sure that their, like, their mouths are being fed offensively. I just feel like she could actually... I mean, I mean, again, she also led the league last year in steals per game. So it'd be interesting to see if, you know, they just have like a four-headed monster on offense and just let Gabby really just focus in on the defensive end. And I don't know if like how much, how many games at UConn you've seen, um, you know, like scouting Katie Lou Samuelson, but there was one that I remembered at the beginning of this year where it was 2017 and Gabby was still on that UConn team. And in the Elite Eight, I think it was, against South Carolina and Asia Wilson's South Carolina team, it wasn't Katie Lou Samuelson who was playing the four. It was Gabby Williams who was taking on Asia Wilson and trying to limit her. And she did. UConn ended up winning. So I think that would be kind of an interesting move, even though Gabby did struggle a little bit at the four and adjusting to that position last year. It'd be just kind of interesting to see if they, in positionless basketball, you know, that phrase hasn't been... Um, 
beaten to death. Um, but you know, in this era of positionless basketball, it would be kind of interesting to see someone with Gabby's defensive IQ try to take on some of the better scores in the WNBA as like closing games. But what do you think of that idea? Trying to mix Gabby into, you know, kind of split up her time between the one, three, and four. Yeah, honestly, I, I like that a lot, especially especially in a closing lineup scenario. I feel like her next to, you know, whoever you want at the five, and then, yeah, like you said, having that kind of three-headed monster on offense, I think if you have, have those three with her, and then, yeah, like Stephanie Dolson, somebody else who can stretch the four, I, I feel like she would do a really good job just because Gabby Williams, she's a good cutter. Like, that's one thing that she's super good at on offense. She obviously doesn't have a jump shot, but she's super athletic, she's super strong, she can get to the rim at will, pretty much. And so I think when you have that kind of spacing around her, she could she could really thrive in that role, you know, obviously a limited role. She's going to probably take the least amount of shots in that lineup, but I think that would be really good for her. And like you said, just being able to lock in defensively and, and try to battle against some of those bigs. And I think a big thing with the sky so far that I've noticed is I feel like Wade has... And you'll have to let me know if I'm just imagining this or anything, but I feel like Wade has gotten a little trickier or a little more creative with some of his defensive schemes. I feel like he, especially at that Aces game, he, he did a good job doubling or tripling Cam Bage in the post really quickly with athletic players like Gabby Williams and trying to force a steal because obviously there's nobody on the sky because there's, nobody, there's few players in this league that can guard Liz Cam Bage, so doubling her is usually a good option. And so I feel like in terms of having Gabby Williams there, as another person who's super athletic and can come in for doubles, or even if she is guarding somebody like an Asia Wilson, you can have somebody like Diamond come in for a double and kind of help her out when she is getting bullied. So so I do agree with you. I'd like to see Wade experiments a little more there, because as much as I like Gabby at the one, I, I do think having her being able to play the four or the three down the stretch of a season will do a lot in terms of opening up the sky's roster and, and freeing up opportunities for other players elsewhere. Nick, you have a good eye because that is actually something that the sky did a little bit last year when they were successful. And when Liz was still on Dallas, she, that's what Amber stocks through at Liz Campage. I, I mean, I was at one of those games at home when, uh, when, yeah, when Chicago faced Dallas and that's what they did. They smothered Liz in the post and did not let her, go off in that area. Now, the one thing that's going to be harder now is that while her turnover rate is still up, like from last season, her assist rate, like, um, yeah, her assist rate has gone up. So her, like her like court vision is actually has improved a little bit. And when you consider how many other weapons they have around, I mean, Kelsey Plum, Kayla McBride, Asia Wilson, and Derek Hamby, which I will talk about later on the podcast. But I mean, all those players are like, bonafide WNBA contributors. So if you give up, I mean, I, I guess you kind of have to force Liz Cambage to like give the ball up, but it's going to be hard for this guy to face that team when they already have like all those studs in that lineup. But you're right. I mean, you have to force Liz to pass the ball because you can't have, I mean, they kind of did that last game, honestly, but Liz just got to the free throw line so much that kind of yeah. her stats kind of were padded in that sense. But yeah, no, I, mean, I think you're completely right. I think they have to make Liz force the issue. So, Nick, I kind of talked to you about this before the show. but And I can't say the middle word on radio because this is going on radio. So I'm going to try to 
soften it up with a, another term. I'm assuming you're familiar with this game, but you know what Mary Shag Kill is, right? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Great. So the people listening, we are not doing that here. We are not going to demean people in that sense. Um, that's horrible. We're not doing that here. But I did modify this for WNBA purposes. And the format of that is I'm just going to give you three players on the sky. And I want you to state whether you would want to give them 15 minutes, 10 minutes, or five minutes in that game or that matchup, I guess. So you're ready for this? I have like no idea how this is going to go. So. No, yeah, I'm excited. Okay, so the three players are Kalia Copper, Astu Nadu, and Katie Lou Samuelson. Fifteen, <sighs> ten, or five for those. Um, I think I'd probably go Astu fifteen, Kalia ten, and Katie Lou five. I have. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, what, oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. What were you gonna say? Yeah, I just I feel like Astu is like just too solid. To, to not give the 15 to, and I feel like with Kalia, as much as I like Kalia a lot, she's kind of, she's had some slumpy games since All-Star break, mm-hmm. um, and then obviously Katie Lou, as much as I'm kind of hyped that she's, you know, she's kind of showing up a little more, I don't think she's she's quite there where I'm going to pick her over either of those players. Yeah, I totally feel that. So, I'm actually, like, we're close. I had a stew at 15, I think that's pretty obvious. I actually have Katie Lou Samuelson at 10, and I'll explain why I think that later down the road, that'll be the next segment we do. But I think Katie Lou at 10 minutes per game would be perfect for her. And I agree with you. It's weird. Kalia was on such a hot streak going into the All-Star game weekend. And so that's why I kind of have her at five minutes here. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, I actually am really high on Kalia Copper, but it's been a little bit disappointing the last few games. But the next one, Gabby Williams, Astu, Cheyenne Parker. This one's testing what we just talked about with Wade experimenting with the lineups, and I'm just giving you, like, three bigs, pretty much, if you want to consider Gabby a big, if she plays the four. Yeah, oh my gosh. Because I, I feel like, because Cheyenne at her peak, obviously, I think will contribute more than either of those players. When Cheyenne's locked in, she's just like a monster. Oh man, this is tough. I, I think I'd probably go Cheyenne... A stew, Gabby, and that's like that is painful for me to say. That is like hard. I am not one hundred percent in on that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that out into the universe. I'm glad we disagree on this one because <laughs> I mean, and I don't know how much like how I feel about this, but I'm really high on what Gabby's doing right now, and I really think that defensively, like we just talked about, she can lock something in here. I have Gabby fifteen, a stew ten, and Cheyenne five, just because come playoff time, I kind of want to see consistency from Cheyenne and. That's not something we've seen. I mean, it felt like she almost took a month off. And I'm not questioning her, like, energy on the court. I I don't mean that at all. I just think that the Sky are going to need consistency. And what we just outlined with that core four, it just kind of seems like more than anything, they need the consistency from a stew and the defensive ceiling that Gabby brings and kind of knocks down in that sense. But Okay, I'm going to just do one more because I feel like this is just going to get too, like, it's going to be too much with the combination. So, come playoff time, for the, like, the backup uh, backcourt situation here, do you want Kalia Copper, Jameera Faulkner, or Chloe Jackson with the 15, 10, and 5 spots? Um, oh man. I probably, 
Kalia, Jamira, and then Chloe Jackson at five, just because Chloe, I feel like, hasn't really, she hasn't had, like, a ton, I, I've actually liked Chloe a lot when she has played, but she just has not played much at all, and while Jamira, I think, is still kind of, like, coming into her own on the team, I think she has, she's shown me something I like, she's, she's not necessarily the biggest producer, but I, I do think that she's somewhat consistent on the court, and then, like we were talking about with Kalia, obviously, it's been kind of a, a nosedive since the break, but I think out of anything, she she still gives you that defensive intensity, and I think I just hope in a playoff scenario that you can get a game out of her, or a stretch of five or ten minutes where you know she just plays really well. So we're on the same page. I had Kalia fifteen, Jamira ten, and Chloe Jackson five. I'm actually not sold on Chloe Jackson long term, but I mean maybe Jamira Faulkner is not going to be with the team next year. It kind of it kind of seems like she's not going to be just because this is a contract year and she's not getting any tick, but. I think the big key here is like come playoff time and Jameer Faulkner might be that veteran on-court piece that the Sky need with Gentel being gone. I just like players that have that playoff experience and like can kind of be even killed when they're on the court and um, especially with the team that turns the ball over as much as the Sky do. Jameer Faulkner's steadiness potentially in the playoffs could be big. But Kalia Copper, just defensively, I mean, I think she she's averaging over 15 minutes a game and I think she has the best defensive rating during those 15 minutes like on this guy's roster right now. So I think that Kalia, definitely 15, Jamira 10, and Chloe Jackson 5. Actually, I know we're kind of deviating from the outline that I gave you, but like Chloe Jackson long-term, do you feel like she has a place in the WNBA? Like you said that you like her, uh, like what you've seen from her this season. Like tell me a little bit what you've liked from her because yeah, I have some different takes. <laughs> because I feel like we, I feel like um, as fans, and really as just like, people who write about the game, I think we, when, when we have players, uh, and this kind of goes for Katie Lou maybe as well, the players who play very little, and when they do play, they play very few minutes, we, we just like look at that tape and we're just like, all right, this is like, this is exactly who this player can be. And I think I, I've probably noted like maybe four, four times that Chloe Jackson has just been like really good on defense. And I think that in my head has kind of just been like, all right, like she's going to be good. Like, which really is just not a logical takeaway at all but yeah I, w- I will say it's, it's hard to tell just because she has played so little and i do like you said i do wonder if she has a future with the sky because the sky just have they have quite a few guards that just aren't consistent shooters or aren't dead-eye shooters and when you're talking about like an energy guard that's going to bring you defense it's like how how many of those do you really need at the end of the day, and so that's why I do wonder if Chloe Jackson will will make the roster next season, especially when you consider there's going to be another another draft pick coming in and whatever offseason acquisitions occur. I just don't see how she fits in with this team and like Wade's offensive philosophy. And I think you're right; she did she's shown some signs on defense, but at Baylor she took four threes in her final season. Like I don't, I just don't think you can really make it in this league with being a guard, especially playing the one and not being able to really make threes. I mean, Kalia, they already, the sky already had that type of player in Kalia Copper. I mean, she's not someone who's going to light the world on fire from the perimeter. And yeah, I just, I don't know about Chloe Jackson. It's going to be interesting to see moving forward. I mean, she might have a spot if Jamira Faulkner is off the team next year, which I do think is a very likely scenario. But, um, so one thing I actually wanted to talk to you about. So, Katie Lou Samuelson, she showed some flashes, like, as a potential, like, um, you know, just at her offensive potential, like, 
really showed in that Aces Sky game. And do you feel like her offense ability can really like break through this team's ceiling and like for what they can do in the playoffs? Or are we going to wait until like next season to really see what KLS can do as a viable WNBA contributor? I think I think for like as far as becoming a viable like consistent WNBA contributor, I think that's something we'll have to wait until next season. But I do kind of feel like for how much that she does play, which is like, you know, depending on the night, is is five to ten minutes maybe. Obviously in that Aces game, she was playing really well, so she got a little extra burn. I think she played somewhere north of 13, 14 minutes or so. Um, so I could definitely, I see her, you know, because the thing I like about Katie Lou this season is she's had her struggles, and obviously she was injured and out for a while, which definitely hindered her. But when she has been in, she hasn't, been super hesitant to shoot the ball which for her is like is just the biggest thing because she she can't do a ton else on offense and her defense has obviously been it hasn't been incredible and so if she wasn't shooting the ball I would say that you know give her minutes to somebody else but she has been shooting the ball and I think her value as a floor spacer I think it's worthwhile for five to ten minutes a game even into the playoffs even considering her you know defensive deficiencies because I think when you're, you can kind of get away with it when it's a role player only playing those minutes every game because teams just can't, teams just don't have the time to game plan specifically for that player, even in a playoff matchup when they're just not playing that much. So I, I think we'll see some flashes from her as the season finishes up and potentially into the playoffs. But I think to really see the full potential of Katie Lou, I, I think that's going to be a next season thing. I think that role that you just described is perfect for her and like what this team kind of needs. And I mean, she kind of showed that last game. I mean, she used, I don't know. I mean, she could be used as that person that can help lessen like a 10 point gap with her three point shooting ability. Like she had two key threes that helped the sky claw back into that game, despite not playing extended minutes and, or maybe extended minutes for her based on what she's done this season. But I just don't think that's something that can't be valued enough in basketball. Like, the players that can win you four minutes in a game are so crucial, especially come playoff time. And I wouldn't say that like Katie Lou did that last game, but I did see something from her. Like I, I saw something kind of like that from her last or against the aces, I should say, but just using her in different lineups in the, in the playoffs, like just that five to 10 minute, like if they, if they are down by 10 or 12, like just have Lou go off and like, let her like let it uh, loose from three. I just think that you really can't um, you can't really lose with that. And again, she has a long way to go defensively. And Wade knew that going into the season, though, so he probably has some idea about like how he could scheme around her. And I don't know he's got so many different lineups to use, and he's going to be moving his chess pieces back and forth. But it's going to be interesting to see how she is used in the playoffs. But let's move a little bit forward here just in the short term for this upcoming week. So every game is going to have an impact on every team competing for a spot or higher seeding in the playoffs. So the Sky really can't afford to drop the majority of their next games. So let's just go through what we want to see from the Sky as they are set to face the Mystics at home on Friday, the Mercury in Phoenix on Sunday, and the Lynx next Tuesday in Minnesota. So let's start with the first game. What do you want to see from the Sky in this matchup? I think for the Sky against the Mystics, is I just want to see a very solid offensive game for them. Something that's, you know, maybe not 40 minutes of, of good offense, but close to it, just because I feel like 
in previous games, they've just had these stretches where they just get bogged down and the offense just slows down to a halt and it lets other teams either build a lead or get back into the game. And obviously, I think a team like the Mystics is a great team to have to like kind of prove yourself against because if you do that against the Mystics, suddenly they're up by like 30 and you're just going to get blown out that game. And so I'd like to see just a solid offensive game for them. Hang around. I personally, I'd probably pick them to lose. Like I said, I'm, I'm not betting against the Mystics this year. <laughs> but hang around with them. Show that you can hang offensively and, and see what you can do from there. I think that that is probably the recipe they're going to need. I think to add to that, I just want to see the Sky beat the Mystics in their own game a little bit, which is something that doesn't go well for teams that try to beat another team with their own game plan. But I think that the way they can beat the Mystics in their own game is just upping their three-point attempts in this one. I'm going to try to recall like my research from the beginning of the season. So maybe someone out there can fact-check me. But I think that only two teams in WNBA history have attempted 700 threes in a season. And that was like, I think it was like the 2007 or 2008 Mercury and last year's Seattle Storm team. The Mystics are less than 33s away from hitting that mark and are collectively making 36% of those threes. So I just think the Sky need to hit from like the perimeter a little bit more consistency if they're going to stay in this one. Um, it's something that we've, I mean, Diamond's numbers have kind of dipped a little bit before the last two games where she's like taken like 20 or more shots per game. Um, but besides that, you kind of just want to see more consistency from her from beyond the arc. I, I hope this, this guy can kind of overwhelm the Mystics with the amount of three-point attempts they can uh, they take just by copying the Mystics game plan, honestly. But it's hard. It's like the Mystics are the Mystics. So, I mean, I'm assuming you're going with them, like you just said, but like who wins? But like, what's the scoring margin? Um, I'm going to pick the Mystics by eight. And yeah, I'll, I'll say by eight. And I, I think it'll be a relatively close game the whole time. I do think the Sky have kind of shown in the past couple of weeks that they are willing to take take more threes they're i think they're getting better at playing faster and so like you said it'd be, be kind of fun to see the sky try to match the mystics in their game and, and see how that goes for them because you know like i said like you you can't you can't slow down the mystics offensively it's really hard and the sky's defense is going to struggle to do that so you might as well try to hang offensively at least but yeah i'm, I'm gonna take the mystics in this one until I see them beat the Mystics with Elena Deldon just once, I'm just going to have to go with the Mystics. Like, no shade thrown at the sky here. It's just, this is like the Mystic season. Like, 2019 is their season so far. So, um, I mean, they're also the only team this year that has won over 10 games on the road. So, I don't see Wintrust being a factor here. Like, in the way that I could see that impacting other teams, I usually consider that when I do these weekly matchup um, analysis. But... Yeah, EDD is just too good. I say Mystics by 10 here. Um, but let's move to the next one with the Mercury. So um, what's key for the Sky heading into this one? I think for the Sky in this one, I, I want to see them, like we were talking about, I feel like the bigs will be really important. It is supposedly going to be the return of Diana Taurasi, which worries me on the Sky's behalf, but I can't imagine she's going to play a ton in that game if she does end up playing. So I don't know how big of a factor she'll actually be. So I'd, I'd like to see the Sky, like to see them trouble uh, the Mercury's bigs. I'd like to see them like put up a good effort. I'd like to see that doubling. I'd like to see that be well done. I want to see Wade coach a really good game defensively and hopefully see Dolson stick around the whole game, 
not get in foul trouble early on. Uh, like she has the past few games, I feel like she's had a bad stretch of foul trouble. Uh, and I'd like, to, I'd like to see her really show up for that game. I mean, if there's someone that's going to force as many fouls as Liz Cambage did two games ago, I mean, it's going to be Brittany Griner. And I guess that kind of goes into my like my key point here for this matchup. I mean, the Sky aren't going to stop Brittany Griner. I mean, I, I just think that she's just been doing incredible the last two weeks, or the last seven games, I should say. She's averaging 22 points per game in that during that stretch. I think the biggest thing here is that they just got to make sure everyone else around her doesn't put up too much of a fight. And like I said, Griner is going to get hers. But Dewana Bonner is weirdly less efficient scoring the ball at home than she is on the road. And in the last seven games, she is shooting 35% from the field and 20% from three. So the Sky still need to limit her, obviously, because she's still averaging 18 points per game. She's incredible. But it seems more doable at Phoenix just because of those weird home slash road splits. And, I mean, the other people around her aren't, they're not someone that you can't just write off either. I mean, uh, Leilani Turner, I'm so bad pronouncing these names, is averaging 17 points per game in her last seven games. And she's shooting over 40% from three. So the Sky kind of need to stop her from long range and not let her spread out Phoenix's game with her ability to shoot the three. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest key here is just making sure everyone else around Brittany Griner isn't going off because... The Sky do allow a lot of points in the paint. I mean, they average them. Don't they average the most points in the paint in uh, against opponents? Or, like, opponents average the most points in the paint against the Sky? They're definitely up there. Yeah, I'll have to check those it's numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to be worrisome. But if if, if Bernie Griner is already going to get hers, you might as like, just make sure everyone else around her is going to be locked down. But who wins this one? This is so hard for me, but I could see the Mercury squeaking this one out. But outside of that four-game losing streak in the middle of the season, the Sky are actually seven and zero after losing their previous game. So I actually kind of like them against the like a Mercury team that is still kind of figuring out like how to put it all together. And I mean, while Diana Taurasi is not someone who's going to have a hard time getting back into the her groove, maybe the rest of the team changing up their dynamic is something that's going to hurt the mercury in this one a little bit so i think it's probably going to be a four or six point win or loss given how the sky have been rolling this season um you can i'm never gonna predict the sky winning by more than six points in a game so (laughs) i'm gonna say it's a four or six point win for the sky um so let's move the last one so minnesota on the road what do the sky need to do in this one to improve or not improve but you know just what do they need to do in this one yeah, I feel like the Lynx are always, I feel like just a weird team to project against just because I feel like they've been a really weird team this year, as of the Sky, and so the Sky are always, <laughs> always hard to predict with. Um, but I I don't want to say that I think the Sky should be in a position to roll the Lynx. I, I, it's hard to say that with the Sky with anyone, but I feel like the Sky should be in control for the most part in this game. And I, I think if they can, if they can just... Get out, hop out to an early lead, not blow it in the second quarter because they've had just some terrible second quarters this year. Yeah. And just, just hold on the whole way through and, and get like an eight point win or something. Get a nine point win. Get something where 
I, I can like check out a little bit the last four minutes of the game because I it's not down to the wire. I would I would love to see that from them, uh, but I do feel like the links in the sky this year have had some just weird games, uh, and obviously there's always the thing of James Wade returning to Minneapolis as uh, as a head coach. There's always that storyline, but. Yeah, I, I just want to see them take control of this game and, and just hold a lead throughout. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's always something that's going to be a problem with this guy. I don't think we've really seen that from them since that Connecticut game, honestly. that's <laughs> it's You're kind of wishing for a lot there if you expect that consistently night in, <laughs> night out. But the thing I want to see is Astu and Dolson like, really put up a fright in the front court. Excuse me, in the front court against the Lynx. Um I mean, the Lynx are second in the league in points in the paint per game this season and third in that category in the month of August. So, like, it's not just – I mean, it's a recency thing here that the Lynx are consistently putting up a lot of points in the paint. And like we just talked about, I think this guy are allowing the most points in the paint in the league. But if they're not averaging the most, they're averaging, like, the second or third most. So, this – like, the key for them is going to be to try to, like, stop that front court from going off and they really can't just outrun Minnesota either because Minnesota is fourth in the league in fast break points. And I think the sky are number one, but Minnesota c- can like play the exact same way that the links are not the, the sky like to do. So this really does boil down to Steph and a stew for me personally. I mean, they are averaging 1.3 and 1.4 blocks per game respectively in the month of August. So I feel like, they are just going to kind of need to bring the heat in against Minnesota, which heat in Minnesota, that's not something that really goes together. But like, <laughs> really, I think that they are going to need to like really show something here, especially if they don't do well against the Mercury and Brittany Griner. So, um, but who wins this one? I'm going to take the sky by seven, which is a handy win for them. It's a, it's a big margin Ooh. for them. Sky by seven. Okay. Oh, I was. This was a really hard one for me, but I think this is going to be kind of a bloodbath featuring a lot of turnovers. I mean, these teams turn the ball over a lot, but I hate to say it, I think Minnesota wins this at home. I mean, this isn't a game the sky can really afford a drop with the sky kind of, or not the sky, the storm breathing down their necks a little bit. But since the sky are most vulnerable on the road, and that you know Nafisa Collier has been so consistent as of late. I mean, I think she's been putting up something crazy like 18 and 7 her last few games just she's been incredible Nafisa has remarkably transitioned from like the 4 to the 3 so and she's done it with such a like ferociousness that like the sky that's a type of player the sky really have a hard time stopping so it's going to be interesting to see what she does I'm going to go with Minnesota with this one but yeah so let's do a quick lightning round here with the two weeks too early award picks to wrap this thing up. So, man, there was actually some tougher ones in this than I thought. Like, I felt pretty, like, I always, like, just jot down notes throughout the week about, like, my WNBA thoughts. And just going through this, like, some of these awards, it is a little, like, there's, some of them were actually kind of hard to pick. So, um, with that, all that said, uh, let's just start this off a little bit. So, sixth moment of the year, who do you have winning that one? Um, Dierica Handy. Yeah. 100 percent i don't know no one else she's like i think she is my pick by a long shot um most improved most improved by odyssey sims wow wait we actually are on the same page there yeah odyssey sims yeah i'm a big odyssey fan 
Oh my god, what she's done this year has been pretty incredible. And what sucks is that she was traded to her rival, so that's yeah. she honestly <laughs> should just get the award just because of that. Um, defensive player of the year. Natasha Howard. Ooh, okay. I had John Quill Jones here. Um, okay. Make your case for Natasha Howard really quickly. I just feel like, and I mean, this is kind of the exact same case for John Quill Jones, but I just feel like Natasha Howard has been such a versatile defender, just being able to get out in switches and just her block rate and steal rate is just ridiculous this year for a big. And I just think her impact for that team, which is obviously down a few players this year, as you as you might have heard. Um, <laughs> and that, that's, that sways it for me. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I have John Quill Jones here because she's just going to be missing out on MVP honors after just her tremendous start at the beginning of the season. I mean, she's continued to play like an MVP, but like, I kind of just have her because she's missing out on that award. And I mean, she's first in blocks and total rebounds and is tied for second in defensive rebounds. That's enough like to swing it for me in that sense, but you really can't go wrong because Natasha Howard and John Quill Jones are going to finish one and two, whatever the order is. Um, they're definitely at the top there. Rookie of the year. I'm still on Team Nafisa for Rookie of the Year, but I will say, sorry, I'm Team Nafisa today, but if Arike continues her run and she just ends up finishing with percentages that look, you know, at least decent, I might have to go with her, but I do just think Nafisa, with how consistent she's been, and she's doing it on a playoff, a most likely playoff-bound team, I think that kind of edges it out for me. She obviously still has a big role with the Lynx, but she's not getting nearly the same type of looks that Arike is. But it's a tough one. It's been a fun race, and I love all the arguments online, but I'm Team Nafisa. I, you can't go wrong with either choice, again, and... Again, I think the be- like the best case you can make for Nafisa is that you know she has been the more consistent player this year. Like since day one, she has stepped in and been like that player for Minnesota and on, on a playoff team. That doesn't like the playoff team aspect of this doesn't really bother me in, in reward like this. And what Arike is doing right now, I mean, she's averaging twenty two points per game in her last ten games, I think, and that to me is just. If you can put up that type of production for like a third of the WNBA season in a league that doesn't have a 20-point-per-game score, I mean, I kind of just have to tip my hat to her. I mean, Arike is just one of the most exciting team, like players in the league right now. So, and like especially in a season where we've seen a lot of these stars, you know, like take time off or they're just injured. Like, it's been really great to have players like Arike step up, but you really can't go wrong with either one but i'm going with the rike here but um i think this is the one where it gets really tough though coach of the year i i think i gotta i gotta go james wade i don't know if it's like if it's a homer pick or if it's just like oh i've been like falling the sky far more than any other team but i think just what he's done with you know you said this earlier but with a roster that is you know for the most part very similar to the one that he had, or that the Sky had last year. I think what he's done with the team, and part of it has been, you know, schematically with the system, the systems improve. But I think when you consider how obvious it is that he's had such a positive impact in the locker room and in terms of motivating this team and how much this team seems to like him, I think I got to go with James Wade. It's definitely the hardest decision out of all of these picks for me. But yeah, I'm agreeing with you. It's Wade. It's either that or Seattle's coaching staff, in my opinion, because. What Wade has done this year, 
it's just incredible. It's honestly unwarranted. Like, like you, you don't see this from a lot of first year coaches, especially like not even just like out of like in sports in general, but like in the WNBA when you have such little time at the beginning of the season and what Wade's done and just clicked with this team on day one and like make them a potential three or four seed. That's pretty incredible. And, and you just look at everybody else's roster around, like it makes sense for why a lot of those teams are in the playoffs. And with the sky, I mean, everybody kind of picked them as the most surprising team this year. So I agree with you. I think it's Wade and, but you, there's also, you can make a lot of cases. I mean, like for Lambeer, you can also make a case. Kurt Miller, you can make a case. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily pick him, but I mean, there's still, like, there's certainly a case out there for him. Um, but yeah, James Wade for sure. MVP. Come on. It's Elena Bellina. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's an argument uh, early in the season. There definitely was an argument early in the season, but I feel like at this point, it's it's got to be her. Agreed. I mean, she had a, like a slow start at the beginning of the year, but then she started being Elena Deladon again and being one of the most dominant forces we've ever seen. Um. Yeah. No. Elena Deladon. We don't even need to discuss this. Um. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up, or anything you want to plug? Um. So obviously, you know, check out the Skycast anytime you have a chance. Um. You know, obviously, big fan of the Skyhook. Always listen to it. You do. You do great work on this podcast. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate having a ton of Chicago Sky content to consume from you. Definitely helps me out as a writer. Um. But other than that. Uh, I will have an article coming out soon, actually, um, possibly tonight, explaining kind of the weird tiebreaker that the the Skyer could potentially be in if some crazy scenario happens. So keep an eye out for that on High Post Hoops. But yeah, thanks for having me, man. No, absolutely, dude. And I would love to have you on later down the road as the Sky. I mean, there's only a couple weeks left in the regular season, so we'll definitely have to, we, I'll definitely have to have you back on uh, down the road. Yeah, I would. I would absolutely love to be back. I'm. I'd be excited to be back, especially in the off season. I'm sure we'll have plenty, plenty of transactions and things like that to discuss. Absolutely, man. Well, thanks for coming on, Nick, and it's it's a pleasure to have you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Sky Hook. If you haven't done so already, I highly encourage you to like and subscribe to the show's pages on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if you want to contact me or anybody involved with the show, you can always do so by emailing the mailbag, which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. Or you can always tweet at me or the show's handle. My handle is James underscore M underscore K-A-Y. And the show's handle is at skyhookin. And yeah, I really appreciate you guys all tuning in to the the show. And until next time, my friends.